In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by Chase's second bar mitzvah. Welcome in to episode 83 of the Gospel Friends. I am Reverend Verbage. I am Chase Captain Crunchy Thompson, and the first bar mitzvah didn't take. <laughs> I am the general, and um, I like the bar mitzvah, though. They, they bring in the cash. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. And um, I'm really interested to see where this comes from. I am Nick. So, um, are you Jewish? Yes. Okay, good. I might be. I'm adopted. I get what happens? I want. Bar mitzvah is coming of age, right? Like yeah. manhood kind of thing? Essentially, yes. Yeah. Growing into maturity? Yes. So, apparently in um, Judaism, when someone reaches the age of 83, they can celebrate a second bar mitzvah. Sweet. Now, uh, it is a... It's kind of, well. I want to explain that. I think you're you're lucky. Uh, so this is apparently becoming an. In, it was a very common practice that's becoming now increasingly uncommon, but um, because the Torah says that a normal lifespan is seventy years, an eighty three year old can be considered thirteen in like a second lifetime kind of oh, way, and so they would do a second bar mitzvah. So there you go. And I thought it was appropriate to you being, you know. Kind of Mr. Immature on the show, you know mm. how you yeah totally <laughs> you you play that up. <laughs> I appreciate that saying bad words on episodes that nobody really knows what it means, hoping you can just get by with it. Yeah, hey, can you meet me outside after the show? <laughs> I got I got something for you. It's Fine. a Christmas hey, present. A show opening worth uh, worthy of a show opening. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Look, the general approves. That'll be the last one for another. 83 episodes. Well, you got one. Welcome into the Gospel Friends. Uh, so episode 83 is going to be pretty unique. This is our Between Christmas and New Year's episode. It's going to be a shortened and condensed version tonight, Lord willing, primarily because <laughs> last week's episode was our kind of Christmas blowout episode 82. Hopefully hopefully you had a chance to listen to that. Three and, hours. Yeah, it was. It well, may be by the. I don't know. It, it took five hours to record. So, yeah. um, but we had a ton of guests from from the Hall of Dogma, our Facebook group, which you can reach hallofdogma.com. dot com, and um, and also we had an in studio audience, which was great, and we just really had a good time. Uh, so we're just going to shorten this episode up. It's going to be pretty unique. Um, if this is your first time to listen to the Gospel Friends. I would, as the uh, ESPN Fantasy Football See how app go ahead. goes off in the background. If this is your first time listening to Gospel Friends, maybe you go back and listen to a, you know uh, episode 80 or 81 or below uh, to kind of get an idea of a normal show. Uh, this week's going to be quite different for us. Quite. But it's um, so not the norm if this is the first time you're, you're listening in. Um, but you, like I mentioned, the Facebook group. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, our Twitter is at my gospel friends, or you can email us thegospelfriends at gmail.com. We always look forward to receiving your feedback and uh, comments on the show. So, Nick, tonight, um, 
rather than, you know, typically we dive into a two or three topics, talk about some silly things, talk about some serious things. Tonight we're doing a little bit of a crossover. So we've yep. got several friends who, uh, friends of the show who have kind of started their own podcast or um, kind of venturing into that area. Uh, one of them is um, our friend Kay Small, who has uh, been on the Gospel Friends a couple times, uh, originally showing up as Dr. Septum. Yep. However, uh, he had a name change in there somewhere. He did. Um, I don't remember what his uh, alter ego was. Well, and you won't have any context for it, probably. Um, he is now um, going by the moniker of Cerebro. Cerebro. Okay. S- speaks Dr. very Septum much. Is still one of my favorite <laughs> HOD names. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I... It's one of the best. I think I have to discontinue with Dr. Septum because I just... Well, look, I mean, you would. It's fine. Um, I mean, but I don't know... That, how I am. I don't know that if if your nickname was based off a sinus condition, it would be your. Look, my nickname my nickname is built on the fact that you all say I can't shut up. So I mean, it's but it, it that's kind of, kind of personality the, you embrace. Well, I would embrace the septum. Okay. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> well, anyway, K Small has his podcast. Hope he does. Hope for the journey. Yep. Tell us my, about that. All right. So Kevin's podcast um, lives on his blog, myhopejourney.co, and. Um, if you kind of use the model we have for the Gospel Friends, you can find him on various social media and, and Gmail. Um, but this blog started um, for Kevin as um, one part outlet, one part ministry. So his son, Jeremiah, um, kind of hit a downward slide a few years ago that got um, hit a hit a faster zone uh, when he fell into some substance abuse and addiction and um, ended up with with Jeremiah actually um, getting arrested and spending some time in the hospital. Uh, He's now gone through a recovery program, but, you know, as Kevin worked through some of these thoughts and emotions, um, frustrations, self-doubt, questions of, of... how to do better, what could I have done better, and all those things, this ministry was kind of born, um, again, one part outlet, him working through them on his own, but also he looked around the church, and you know, his one of his taglines early on was, the church doesn't have a method diction Sunday. Um, we've got a lot of other programs and answers, but there are still some things that the church um, at large, not every church, um, but Mike could do a better job at providing some outlets for and. And so um, he's just really been trying to um, not kind of point his finger, but begin to try to provide some of those resources. And that's uh, where the podcast has come in. And so um, I'm on that show with Kevin, and Kevin will usually bring— Pod, talk pod, about, podultery. 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 There we go. Um, Podultery is a sin. Hey, welcome our uh, new co-host. I'm a a Mormon. Emmanuel Marsh. Hey, Emmanuel, do you know how to podcast host? Do you know how to edit things and I do know how to edit, upload. Do you know how to do microphones and stuff? Uh, no, but you can find that all on YouTube. It's not don't take a <laughs> Okay. Wow. <laughs> Just YouTube how to set up a board. So so maybe you could check that out next week or so. I am faithful and true uh, to this podcast. I have wow. No wow. You refuse strong. to even listen to other podcasts associated with the HOD. Exactly. So, All right. Well, thank I think you for we that. Found our guy. Sounds good. All right. I've got Keep some more going, free Nick. time on Sunday afternoon. It's cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, I'm on that show with Kevin. He will usually bring a um, 
a, a topic, um, something that's he's either covered on the blog or he's kind of seen and just wants to just put an open discussion out there. Um, it's it's not always nice and clean and pristine. Sometimes it's just messy, um, but we work through it the best we can. Uh, we are on that show with a friend of ours, David Skinner. Uh, the hall, the Gospel Friends uh, Hall of Dogma members will know him as the cessationist, and so he was on a few episodes ago where I berated him lovingly in a hey, we Christ-like way around here. We do, um, but he's, we just—he's good on that podcast too, by the way. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'm a big fan of him. Like he—he's—he's he, he's, uh, David's a good podcaster. I listen yep. to uh, some of the 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 recent ones for November. That you was on there. So, yeah, okay. He's good. good. Slightly questionable theology, but I mean, good podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the only really. thing you don't agree with him on is cessationism. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, I am. I mean, that's the thing. He's a fellow. He's a fellow reformed Calvinistic salvation guy. So yes, he is. But if we, you get uh, something Jesus said wrong, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> Okay, well, that's going to be a topic for. Uh, oh, that's not what we're talking about tonight. Oh, you said we were talking about cessationism again. <laughs> yeah, what the heck? I did. I did. Um, <laughs> So we record, um, you know, we record the show, and, and we have our perspectives. Um, you know, we, we kind of see Skinner as a pastoral perspective. Um, he's got a very shepherd's heart, uh, very gospel-focused heart. Kevin has ministered before. Um, but, you know, a lot of these questions Kevin brings as almost the voice of, of the, the person in need. Um, and I try to kind of keep that discussion going. And so with you guys uh, serving as pastors here um, have a lot of different other ways that you pastor. Um, Emmanuel obviously is a counselor by profession and training. Um, the idea was just to maybe ask some of these big questions, some of the the questions that um, have hit home the most, and get you guys answer from maybe a pastoral perspective, something we don't consider. So, um, with that, we kind of sent over five questions, and uh, who, who, who's the lucky one who gets to go first? You get to choose. You're running the show. Ooh. Narco, narco man. I feel the power. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, do you feel like you could pass a field sobriety test tonight if you had to? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No okay, problem. cool. Um, I haven't taken my medicine yet. Um, so I will, since, you know, I'm not sure that Chase is awake and um, it looks like Emmanuel's working. I am so. awake. I just haven't had a chance to talk a lot. Yeah, David does that. Um, Hashtag free Chase. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, we'll start with the first question. And um, a little bit of context. The question is, why do we treat prayer uh, like a last resort? And so um, people will uh, look for a podcast. They'll look for a book. They'll talk to a pastor. You know, they'll find a counselor. They'll do all these different things um, in the heat of one of these situations, the depth of one of these lows. And then after everything else doesn't work, then they'll take it to the Lord in prayer. Why do you think we do that? Well, there's probably different reasons for different people but if you want to go like to the root of it um all sin and i'm not saying you know prayers the last word is necessarily sin but all sin is caused by the root of it is unbelief there's something somewhere deep down in us where we don't believe what god has said some people say no the root of sin is pride or rebellion but not believing what god has said is pride Rebellion is still at the root of it. There is a pride there, but if you, but if you go deeper, there is unbelief. If we really believed um, what God has said, you know, about what sin does to us, if we believed what God has said about 
what heaven is like, what hell is like, if we believed what God has said about the rewards of obedience, then we would be more obedient. But sin causes us to unbelief. That's the root of it. It's unbelief. And so I think the reason we don't we treat prayer as a last resort is because there is always something in us that makes us think that uh, that it won't help. It, you know, I think that's the root of a lot of it, that it, it may not help. And then when we get to that last resort, it was like, well, it won't hurt to pray. <laughs> I, I, and I say that as somebody who, who doesn't pray enough, and I always beat myself up because I'm just not, you know, I just, as far as my walk, that is the weakest part of my walk. It's always been the weakest part of my walk. And I always have to have these conversations, is, you, you know, Emmanuel, you just don't pray because you don't think there's a point. Hmm. And you can lie to yourself and say I'm busy or I'm not good at prayer or I'm more of a study guy, but the truth is, you know, deep down, you think other things are more important. You don't think it will help because if you really believe that it would do something, if you really really believe that it was beneficial, that would be the first thing you did when you woke, you know, when you woke up. It's but it's not. So I think that's the root of it, and I'll. Leave some other things for somebody else to uh, send it over to Chase. So, I think we don't. I think we don't pray because, <clears throat> at least in part, we don't understand what I think is Jesus's primary teaching on prayer, which uh, you see in Luke eighteen and one through eight and other places as well. Essentially, that we should always pray and never give up. I think we are a an instant gratification society. Um, the teaching of the Bible is not pray once about something and, and then expect an answer, and if nothing happens, then God says no. The teaching of the Bible is to persist or prevail in prayer, as uh, a lot of the old school saints called it, uh, to ask and keep on asking, to seek and keep on seeking, and to knock and keep on knocking. And again, the, the way Jesus taught us to pray is day and night, continual prayer, not stopping and not giving up. And we either don't have the patience or the faith for that. We turn to everything else, including our own power, not really realizing in the depths of our being that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person actually does avail a lot. And our fleshly efforts uh, do, do not avail as much. That's good, David. What are what would you say to the person that says, "I, you know, prayer is the weakest part of my walk." I, I actually echo that sentiment. Or I don't know how or what to pray. What What are some practical? How do we become people of prayer? <clears throat> I'd probably start by saying, "Yes, I'm right there with you." So I think, oh shoot, you know, most people, most people that I know that is, you know, at least that's an area that they really need, you know, work on. And maybe it's just that the more you mature uh, in Christ, the more that God lays on you the need for prayer. Because hmm. uh, I, I think the answer to the question, at least the answer that I was going to give, is we're conditioned by society and family to be, uh, at least most people are, to be strong, rely on yourself, tough it through, you know, resolve your issues. Again, at least that's that's a lot of um, you know people put a high value on that um, 
you know, doing things in your own strength. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's just what we do, even with spiritual issues. How can I fix this? And uh, I think the Bible is about pointing us in our utter dependence upon God. So, um, you know, I think yeah, if you are blessed to know someone in your life who's a strong person of prayer, who who I, w- I would refer them, you know, being a strong person of, of prayer, I would refer that as someone who that's their first inclination. We need to go to prayer. We need to pray. We need to seek the Lord on this. And not because it's a cliche and because that's just mm-hmm. what we're supposed to say. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about it. Ah, we need to pray about that. But you just genuinely see that's their first inclination. I, I would put myself in that person's um, uh, being. Uh, I can't think of the word. I'm, I'm shoes. A, no situation scenario. <laughs> oh, in their presence is <laughs> the word. The presence. I would put myself in their presence. I would try to be around them, spend some time with them, eat lunch with them, whatever, get a cup of coffee, and just just spend some time with them and just you know glean what I could. Uh, how did you become? A person of prayer is this just your personality? You know what what drives you toward the Lord that quickly? And I can and, tell you now that won't help. Okay, I, I, my mom is is yeah. I grew up with my mom. She wakes up every morning, four hours prayer and study. She wakes up at four a.m. and and studies. You know, three or four hours. Some sometimes, if she's off, she might do that all day. She can pray for two, three hours straight. Doesn't help me at all. Like I, I just don't have it. My my pastor and mentor, he he's the same way. He that's the first thing he does. He didn't want. He didn't care what it. You know, if you what what you care about is preaching. What you care about the other parts of his ministry. But he always lets everybody know. I am praying for you by name daily, hmm. every day. He prays for every member of the church. And we have we don't have a huge church, but he prays for everybody by name daily. It's tough. And I I don't know what if there's something that can be taught or is it just depending on just how disciplined you are. Um, but I think for my can't at least soak up something. I don't know. <clears throat> well, I, I think at least for from, me, I say that. Well, you know, and, and maybe it's personality, but I think at least from my standpoint, what happens when I see people like that is it. I recognize, okay, this is a weakness for me, and that causes me to, hey, really want to. This is an area that I need to work on. This is this is a strength that I need to to seek out. So being around people like that to me is helpful. Number one, for motivation, because I I, I can see they're somewhere I'm not, and that's an area I need to mature in. And I, I think putting yourself in 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 the presence of people who are more mature than you are in certain areas. Is is in some way helpful, and maybe 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 that isn't you know maybe for you that's not going to be the thing that teaches you, but it for me that's the first thing that I would do. I, I would at least go to someone who is strong in that area, and from a sense of discipleship, say, you know, have you just always been this way, or, or did you you know did you develop this? So that that's that would be where I would start, and then secondly, I think I would. Um, really look in the Word for those verses that teach us about our weakness and God's strength and our need to rely on Him. And I would write those down and keep those verses in a place where I can look at them and meditate on them frequently um, as a reminder That's good. of dependence on Him. 
Okay. I'll kick this one um, actually right back to you then, David. Um, how we talked about praying for one another um, briefly there. How do you create an atmosphere where people feel comfortable sharing their trial? Um, especially if they're holding close to the vest because of pride or shame. And let me kind of flesh this out. And, and Kevin's been vulnerable about this on, on Hope for the Journey, so I don't mind doing it here. Um, but he just said that there were times in the depths of that struggle where he needed prayer, he needed support, he need, he needed to just either be able to yell or just cry. And he felt like he had asked all that he could ask of people around him, and he just didn't know how to ask again. What would you say to the person in that spot? I think there's Pride, se- shame. I think there's several factors to creating the atmosphere. I'll just give one that jumps to mind. Um, maybe the other guys will pick up on something else. But Joshua Dean, shout out to him, Hall of Dogma church member, and he's been on the podcast as a, as a host, so as his, uh, uh, his um, daughter, Aaron. Um, you need leaders. Leaders need to be willing to share their trials. So your pastors, your gospel community, or small group leaders, the people who are ministers and in those positions of authority, if they are willing to share their trials and their issues and what they're struggling with, it will trickle down, or it, at least it's a, good, it's a good start for that to trickle down because if people see these leaders who typically are kind of on that elevated platform in people's mind, if they see they're willing to be vulnerable and share weaknesses, uh, I think it begins at least to let everybody know, hey, this is this is okay. Because if, if the leaders are willing to not play, um, then maybe it's okay for us to, to share. Chase? So a couple of things jumped to my mind. One is very related to what David said, and, and uh, that is – uh, vulnerability in general. Uh, I think men struggle with that, and w- women do as well. We are rarely vulnerable enough to reveal our true selves. Uh, we, we generally keep our shields up. So if you want to create an atmosphere where it's okay to share what's really really hurting you or really getting you deep down, um, you have to... The only thing I know to do is to step out and, and be vulnerable. Um and and if you if you're in a place where leaders are vulnerable and honest about their weaknesses and understand that Second uh, Corinthians twelve uh, the the power of Christ is is more active and powerful in us when we are weak when you understand that when you're in an atmosphere like that when you walk in vulnerability I think you'll reap vulnerability and, and one other thing I would add um, I, I do believe there's a sense of of sowing and reaping applying here. If you if you sow vulnerability, you will reap an atmosphere of vulnerability. If you sow criticism, in other words, if your life is spent being critical uh, of other people, I think you'll find that when you go through trials, you might be more hesitant to be vulnerable or open either because you're afraid that, that people will be more critical with you or they will be more critical with you. Because I think if you if if you sow criticism, you're more likely to reap criticism, and, and so in the context of how to create an abs- atmosphere of vulnerability, when other people are vulnerable, when other people are going through things, when other ple- people are displaying their sins and weaknesses, you avoid criticizing them, and you'll find that 
that just in and of itself creates that atmosphere where vulnerability and weakness and failure is allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that's how that's how I would answer that. I mean, y'all actually kind of want to ask you a little bit different of a question because it, it tacks on to what you were, what you were talking about prayer that your pastor talks about praying daily for folks. Um, these guys were both mentioning leaders starting off, being taking the lead and being vulnerable, being open and not being afraid to say, hey, I need folks too. How to, and this may be an unanswerable question, but how do leaders do that without it being campy or it being what they're supposed to say? I, you know, and, and I guess I'm getting, I'm asking how leaders get their people to believe them, but... You know, well, how, do, how do leaders get their people to say, yeah, me too? Yeah, I, I really just, you know, part of it is, you know, the, the, the shepherd knows his sheep, but part of it is the sheep have to know the shepherd. And so if you, you know, the members here know the pastors, and so if they say something, they're probably more inclined. This, this is one of the benefits of having a small church. Um, is that the people know each other. Um, it's also one of the disadvantages of having a small church. But one of the benefits <laughs> is the people know each other. So if they know David and Chase well enough to know that if they say this, they mean it. And the reason they know is because they've done life with them. They can contact them, you know, on the phone. They can, And I think part of it is, even going back to the other question, is, uh, you know, creating atmosphere of vulnerability is, your members have to know each other. Mm. If you don't do life together as a Christian community, then that's going to, you know, kind of, you know, it's going to stunt that vulnerability that you're trying to, to, to grow in the church. And so, Very true. I mean, what <clears throat> our pastor, one of the ways that we kind of, you know, relate to him is, I mean, first of all, he tells us that there's nothing it's like prayer is the most important thing we do here because each, every Sunday we have a prayer time. Mm-hmm. And it's not just, I mean, it's a, you know, hands-on prayer. If you have a prayer need, stand up and people, other people in the body and, and pastors and elders will pray with you. And you might have eight or nine or ten people stand up every Sunday and three or four members gathered around each one praying for them. He's like, there's nothing else we do here. Preaching, you know, worshiping. All that's that's well and good, but there's nothing that we do here that is that has more uh, value to the person, the individual, than them know they can come here and get prayer. He said, because really, you can go anywhere and hear preaching, and you can sing songs anywhere. You can sing them anywhere, but not every church prays for people individually. Hmm. And so he makes that a a part to say that. And with him, so they 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 lost a son, um, an eight year old son. Um, they uh, they were told they could they shouldn't have kids because of some genetic stuff. And they were like, you know, you shouldn't have kids because there's a chance that it's going to come out with this kind of condition. And they said okay, and they had it anyway. And so when the, the baby was born, they knew that he was not going to live a long time. Long story short, he lived 18 years, mm. and that you know that really was a, a a struggle and trial for them. And they didn't they didn't try to hide that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and so we've seen them be vulnerable about things. We've seen them talk about their struggle and being angry with God and, and or, you know, even though that they knew this was going to happen and they decided to do it. So we've already seen their vulnerability. There's really nothing to doubt, mm-hmm. you know, um, because they've, they've, I don't want to say earned, but that's what, it, you know, they, we, Earned is a, we, probably a pretty good word. There. Trust them, you know. Saying? Yeah. you trust them. Um, but knowing, know the people. Yeah, you know, and that's one of, the, like I said, the benefits of this church is it's small enough to where you know the people. Like one of the disadvantages is it's small enough where Chase can't get his his Porsche. But <clears throat> you know, cause but that's active. Dang, I'm bummed out now. <laughs> I know, but I'm trying to move on. You still have chance. <clears throat> he would that. just he would just use it as a his mega church plans are still in the works. Don't worry. Empty about it. Coke can collector. This is an expensive wow. one. <laughs> yeah, but you're saying proactivity on the part of the shepherd. Yeah, because he for I mean, their he, sheep to know him too. Yeah, he just he just lets you know like this is this is ministry right yep. here. You it's know, good. the other stuff is glorifying God. The preaching is that's ministry as well, but if you don't do this part, members of the body ministering to each other, you're missing a big portion of what mm-hmm. the church is supposed to be. Um, like I said, because you can you can listen to sermons all day long mm-hmm. on your on your phone, <laughs> but your, that phone ain't gonna pray for you, right? You know what I'm saying? Uh, you can't tell that phone about your child who just died. Yeah. Yep. So, um, kind of a little bit of a quick follow up. Um, so we've got people that have shared their trial. Um, they've overcome that that comfort and, and not feel like they can. But what about when they feel like they've worn out their welcome? So, kind of alluded to this at the front of that question. But they have um, they have overcome the sharing, but now they feel like they've worn out their welcome and don't feel like they can keep coming back. They're they've become a burden. Anyone well, particular? I, I think that comes from, again, a fundamental misunderstanding of Jesus' teaching on prayer, which is persist, persevere, and prevail. Um, again, we expect the situation to be better after one or two times of prayer. But the people who, uh, the, the great prayer warriors of the past, the, the Andrew Murrays, the Reese Howells, the the, the people like that, the people, uh, John Praying Hyde, who wore grooves on the floor from, from their prayer life, the George Muellers, they knew something about prayer that we, uh, we uh, affluenza-infected Americans do not, and that is the call of Jesus is to persevere in prayer, to keep praying, to keep praying. So there is no such thing as wearing out your welcome. Although, look, I get it. I mean, I get that people can lose patience in their flesh with somebody who wants to keep praying about the same thing. But if the if the person being asked for prayer is doing that, it's they, they have a fundamentally bad understanding of prayer. Um, and the only thing I would say to somebody who's facing a trial that, that lasts months and months is keep asking for prayer, keep praying, keep getting other people to pray for you. If if they get if they have a problem with that, then then may the Lord give them the grace to to learn and to go deeper. Um, who knows that your trial might not have a side benefit, essentially, I'm not saying this is the reason, a side benefit of pushing the faith of another person and teaching them to persevere in prayer. 
David? Um, I, I was actually looking up an article I wrote, uh, Kevin, when he was putting together his, his, his book uh, and uh, some blogs for Hope for the Journey. He asked me to, to blog actually on this about people who feel like, okay, they're just too needy. And uh, okay, you know, if I knew I was setting you up for so, such a softball, I'd ask. They, they asked for uh, so just go to my article from January fifth of this year called okay. uh, "We Are All Needy," and you can read my answer there. <laughs> no, I mean just um, journey dot co. So uh, you know, I think I think part of this is um, you know because the Bible tells us to do that. You know, it's it's you know you have to look at the flip side. Why would I not want to keep asking? Um, for prayer, and and part of that just it goes back to pride. What it if goes it's not just to, even prayer? What if it's emotional support? Yeah, I mean, I think it, I think it's that pride in us that keeps us from ever wanting to ask for it, and it's certainly pride that keeps us from wanting to ask for it all the time. I mean, you know, we that whole. I mean, what does it mean to? Well, I would feel needy. You know, it's I I have shame. I feel embarrassed. I don't want to always be, you know, uh, having to ask for these things and. And so, I mean, I think, I think, you know, there is just a pride issue there. Um, the, the Bible tells us James, um, in, in the book of James, confess our sins to one another. I know we're not really talking necessarily about sins here, but you, you could be if that emotional support. Sure. And, you know, I think the people in my life who confess kind of the same things to me the most over and over, it's, it's a sin issue. Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. And the Bible doesn't put a limitation on that. It doesn't say confess your sins to one another unless you've already done it three times this week. It just kind of this open-ended do it. Um, I think it's, you know, it is, this is not what we're talking about here, but I mean, it is worth asking, you know, um, why, you know, what is this about? Why am I continually having to, you know, dealing with this issue? And I think if you have someone coming to you who is asking for help and you're giving them counsel and they're not putting that counsel mm-hmm. to use, now there's a place where you've got to speak some truth in love because you're not doing someone any good to give them emotional support and prayer support if they don't listen to what you say. And I've had that happen to before. I've had people come to me and say, what should I do in this situation? And I tell them, well, here, here's my counsel. And then they come back later, I need you to still pray about this. Uh, I still got this going on. Well, what happened? Well, I didn't do that. Well, I don't, yeah. And I'm just like, you know, I don't have another answer to give you. It's okay if you want to ignore the counsel, but, like, I don't understand coming back to me again if you're not going to listen to me the first time. So, um, you know, I think there is a point where sometimes, you know, are people listening to what you're saying when – you know when they when they re- get your counsel, I think yeah. you need to look at that. Emmanuel, you're a truth guy. What do you? Where are you on that? Because I heard you agreeing with David. Yeah, I, I agree. With, I agree with a lot of what he said, and 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 there is. It depends on what the situation is. If somebody says you, you know, I've got a headache. I want you to pray for me. Well, what do you what What do you think's causing it? Well, I've been banging my head against the wall. <laughs> well, look, I I don't want to pray for you. Just stop banging your head against the wall. <laughs> You know, and that will, that will fix it. I'm going to give you biblical wisdom. If you're praying on behalf of someone else that, you know, that God intervened in a situation, well, that's that's different. And, and I think that the key is that we're called to bear one another's burdens. Mm-hmm. And it says bear. And I think the bear is important because it's it makes it seem like it's not something that's going to be easy. When I, or at least in my the way I look at the word bear. You know, bear one another's burdens. You know, 
It doesn't say, you know, it, it just has this, this there's going to be weight to them. It's, mm-hmm. it's this, the sense mm-hmm. you get from that word. And that's a good, that's you, a good acknowledgement that there, you know. that weight, that word implies weight. And, he, and, and, and I'll say this now there might be, and, the, and churches get these people who are really, and I don't mean needy in a desperate for God sense. I mean needy in a, I don't really want prayer. I just want attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you have to be in a position to not weed them out because True. if it's not hurting anything, you know, why risk it? But if they're really, if that's really what's going on, you know, I think it's okay to say, you know, what to try to figure out what their motives are. My, my, but if you do that route, you better be you better be right. You got you got to be right. You and better my, be right. My mentor you know? used to talk about he would he would say there are, there are people who are black holes, and he said essentially oh, yeah, it, you, the same thing. You are pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring, and they will zap all the life out of you, but you're not doing them any good. Yeah. And 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 because the root issue they have is not something that you can fix. Yeah. And um and, and I don't think that you know that that's not necessarily um some someone you just am not going to go to that person at all. Mm-hmm. But or I'm not going to help them at all or talk to them, but you know, if somebody just needs the gospel and they need to come to know Christ, you can spend 3 or 4 hours a day giving them all the kind of practical wisdom in the world, but at the at the end of the day, if, if there's a root heart issue that only Christ can solve, you'd be much better praying over them and praying for them and letting them know that than trying to spend a couple hours on the phone a day giving yeah. them practical wisdom that ultimately is not they're not going to take and is not going to help. One of, yeah. one of my one of my mentors he told me he said that need is a black hole, hmm. and in ministry that's what you're dealing in, and you will never go to bed with something that you know. With everything done, something is always there's always something you could do oh, wow. before you go to bed. He said, hmm. "So you're not Jesus. You're not going to fix everything. You're not going to solve everyone's problems, and you have to realize realize that." That's a good and, word. Um, and also with the church, there there should be enough people who are who are I don't want to say trained to minister, but training is good. Mm-hmm. Who are who minister to where if there is a person who needs a lot of Prayers. They're not going to the same person every time. Yeah, you know, because I can understand like if just the same person coming to me every day with or you know with something that I might get tired of seeing them in my flesh. But if you've got enough people where they can ask different people to minister, maybe hear a different voice, then it, you know, it might not be as, you know, maybe maybe that that reluctance they have to wear out one person if they if they feel they are because they might not be. Uh, maybe that will soften some of the reluctance. Well, I can go to Chase this time. I, I won't. I won't bother David because he 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 prayed for me for he he prayed one of those David prayers and that was you know two hours. And I actually wanted him, I actually wanted him to stop in the first thirty minutes. But, <laughs> so I won't ask him Funny. this time. Nice. So um, I, I think we we I think some of the ways you guys answered this <laughs> solved this problem or answered this question. But you know, you guys talked about persevering and creating that atmosphere and things like that. And so this this will be kind of a quick hitter question. We'll have one more deep one, and we'll call call it done. But how do you tell someone to hold on to hope without being cliche? So you've um, we talked about creating an atmosphere where people feel comfortable sharing. Uh, we've talked about when someone um, feels like they've worn out their welcome and pulling back. 
but Christians are great at cliches, the coffee mug sayings, and I don't look around the room and see a lot of cliche here. So maybe, how do you avoid that? Real kind of quick answer for anybody. David. I'll do it in one sentence. So get your counsel from God's Word and not Hallmark or something you read on the internet. Boom. Chase Manuel. I say give somebody the give somebody the full picture. That nothing, that everything is not going to be fixed on this side of heaven, hmm. and so and because I struggle with that this this thing because I well I can't say that I don't know if I can say that phrase here but I don't want to give anybody false hope mm-hmm. but at the same time you you don't want to be so optimistic that and so I, it's God can do anything you you believe. Um, you keep believing, but if it doesn't work out, that's okay too. God is still on the throne, so I think you give people a full picture that there, that you hope with all the hope you can muster, knowing that if that if it doesn't work out, God is still on the throne. Um, because a lot a lot of people who are who say they're wounded by the church are really what that's what they're wounded that what they're wounded by is. Uh, Pollyanna theology, hmm. where everything's going to be okay because you're a Christian and everything's going to work out. And work out doesn't mean what I what you think it means. You know, everything's going to work out for God's glory. It may not work out for your pleasure or your you know what I'm saying, but it's going to work out for His glory. And so, if it's a good Bible believe you know Bible believing Bible teaching church that they've already taught people, um, you know. Reality, because there's a difference between being hopeful and being, you know, not and not living in the real world. Yeah. Chase. So Romans twelve nine, First Peter one oh, here's two. Chase bringing out the Bible. <laughs> yeah, we're going actually we're going to quote some scripture now. Yeah. Here we go. That was what you said. <laughs> it calls us to. Uh, I think Romans nine twelve nine says uh, sincere love. First Peter uh, one twenty two talks about unfeigned love. And I think sometimes we're a little too quick to uh, maybe get offended by cliches. For instance, I can have 10 seconds with you or whatever just because of our situations, and you can say to me, hey, man, I'm praying for you. That can be cliched, especially when you don't really mean it. You're really not praying for the person. And I can be like, yeah, thanks a lot. That's really meaningless. But if we only have 10 seconds to interact and you tell me you're praying for me, that's about the best thing you can say. And I don't want to judge I want to be careful about just saying you're throwing a cliche at me. Uh, Or you might say to somebody, you only have a few seconds, hey, don't give up or hang in there or something like that. All of those are cliches. Jeremiah 29.11. Okay. Hey, look, that's a verse we use to the point of cliche and overuse. It is my least favorite. And and I hate to say anything is my least favorite Bible verse, but it's like nails on a chalkboard. Well, that's not a promise to people so much. And and, and so I think we misuse the scripture when we say, I believe, you know, I'm praying – Jeremiah twenty nine eleven for you. Yeah. Well, that's weird. Or was it Romans eight twenty eight? That was uh, all things work together. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, okay. Which, which they do. I have more but patience for that. But <laughs> but it, not, it might it might not be pleasant in the way. But you see, think. that's what I was I was getting. I mean, like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I mean, I, I agree with you guys. I understand that that's the one that gets printed on all the coffee cups and and people people put it out there for every you know troublesome situation and 
don't forget this. But I mean, it is true. It is true for everyone. If in Christ, it is true for everyone. The the thing is, some people, you know, it's true in the ultimate sense of if you are in Christ, you have a hope in the future, and that is that you will see Christ and be with Christ for all of eternity. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that everything is going to turn out as you want it to turn out. And I think that's why, you know, just my original, we give hope based on the counsel of God, because hope is not always what you, what you think it should be. You know, it, it just, it, you know. Well, I it, think what Emmanuel is saying, and at least what I'm saying on Jeremiah 29, 11, is that is a word from God to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, to the Jewish exiles. And, and to take that word, which was a prophetic word for a very specific time and place, and put it on coffee mugs to Gentile Christians is a, a little risky, yeah. biblically speaking. Now, here's the thing. I do believe that, that the Holy Spirit could, could point you to a verse to give you comfort and hope for you for a specific time. I believe that as and well. And I think that's why the popularity of probably happened. Some preacher probably, you know, had, had a kind of a special moment with that verse and then he preached it to the whole church like it was doctrine and then they went out and you know started a coffee mug company and <laughs> and yeah and I think that's the beauty the of that I mean I, I understand I understand that so but yes I, God does have I think hope, hope in the future for us but c- context is important but I, I do think you can contextualize scripture to the point where Basically, nothing would apply to anybody because yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm not, I, 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 that was only that. for people in this century doing this. So you know, I, but what I'm but, saying, but I, I think I, we're saying is that I we, agree with what you guys are but saying. But to tell somebody that that God has hope, you know, that that God is based on that scripture, that their particular situation is going to turn out the right, you know, the way they want it to, because of Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Yeah, that's a false hope. Yeah, that's a false hope. Um. I don't think that's a, at least it could be not if God gave you that verse to give to someone. That's different. That that's different. different. But what yeah. we're talking about is cliche, which is you just have these stack of verses that you go to and apply yeah. it to everybody in every situation. Where yeah. I see that verse most is on church signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's where it's least appropriate because there are people driving by. That yeah, that is not God's plan for them. It's not. They don't have a hope or a future. That's right. And that's, I mean, that's a hard word, but that is the truth of the matter. Well, that's actually a good lead into our last question, and it's not going to be a light one. And so um, I'll kind of, whoever wants to answer first, I'll let you throw yourself here. But how do we deal with the temptation to embrace our prodigals in sin? So um, Kevin, you know, the impetus with this was he had a prodigal. Um, Jeremiah and um, he's I see it a lot he saw it a lot you know wanting to justify or, or make the sin not as bad as it is um, you know one of the hot topics uh, lately is is homosexuality and if a child um, comes out as gay you all of a sudden want to soften your stance toward, towards homosexuality um, how do we how do we deal with the temptation to embrace or soften? Um, regarding sin. See, I, I don't know if it's really... I was talking about this with a friend uh, last week over lunch because we were talking about homosexuality and, and he's been big into that topic. Either you believe God or you believe yourself. 
That's really what it boils down to. Either God's word says it says what it says, it means what it means, or it doesn't. There is no in between. And I know people try to make all of these uh, hermeneutical uh, cases on that on that particular issue. Either it either it's either God's word is true, or, you know, or God's a liar. Those are your options. Mm. And I think I don't know. I just. I, I would question if those people are Christians, to be honest with you, uh, because Jesus, you know, Jesus said, you know, if you love mother and father more than me, you are not worthy of me. And, and to somebody who would say that, especially when pastors say that, there are love, they are loving their ch- children more than they are loving Jesus. Because well, and because if they and in doing so, they're not even loving their children. Because if you love your children, you love them enough to tell them the truth that uh, Santa no. isn't real. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was a previous episode, man. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, wrong topic. This Check time of year. out eighty episode eighty two of the Gospel Friends um, for that one. But you'd love them enough to say that. Look, this is not God's highest and best for you. No matter what anybody tells you, you were not born this way. This is not, God did not design you this way. This is a symptom of sin in a fallen world. And, you you know, you need repentance. You need deliverance. Um, But what you do not need is another person co-signing your sin. Yeah. And, you you know, I've got a kid. I don't know how I'll react to it. But I doubt that my reaction is, well, I think it's okay now. Because nobody does that with every other sin. You know, I, you know, nobody says, well, I, th- I think robbing a bank is okay because now my son's done it. And I looked at those verses about stealing and there were no banks then. So I don't think that that meant what it means now. You know, it's, yeah. it's nobody does with any other sin except for sexual sin. That's the only sin people just kind of like, you know, try to explain away. I, I think. Having a loved one walk through something makes you more sensitive to that than maybe you were before. So, I mean, I think it's easy to, for example, if you have a, if you have someone who gets caught up in, they get arrested for dealing drugs, and you don't know them, it's easy to be, you know, cliche about them. Well, I just need to lock all the drug dealers up. They deserve to be in jail. They blah blah blah. You know. Uh, so, I think having somebody walk through that, it 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 can and and probably should make you more sensitive, more compassionate. But it should not cause you to come off the truth, and I think, yeah. and I think that's what you said last week. You know, your children can be idols. We're talking about that on episode eighty-two, and you know, I think if your child was an idol, what was your idol? Then you would bend your beliefs to fit them. But if God is first and foremost in your life, then you won't bend the truth for anything. Whether whether there's a gun to your head or whether your child comes home and says they're gay, you're not going to move off the truth. And and I think uh, John Piper, I saw a tweet from him last night. I just loved it. He said, it's not freedom for a fish to sun itself on the beach. It's death. The question of freedom is what were you made for? Mm-hmm. And what I loved about that was, you know, we think we know what freedom looks like, mm-hmm. but, you know, God gets to define it in the end. And I think the same thing with love. Love is not telling someone what they want to hear. Love is not embracing someone's lifestyle so that they can feel accepted and loved on this earth. Love is speaking truth, God's truth to them, and doing it, yes, in a way that communicates your affection and your kindness and mercy. But that doesn't mean, I mean, you 
that you do not speak what is true. So it is not loving to fail to tell someone the truth. Um, it is loving to tell someone the truth and model that for them and show it to them uh, and speak it to them with compassion. Love is never having to say you're sorry. One of the speaking of cliches, movie quotes <laughs> good job. ever. Good job. It sounds hey, good. I'm offended. No, I'm just kidding. That is from the 1974 movie Love Story. Is that 74? Uh, uh, 1970, I it's believe. It's in the 70s. Yeah, or at least right, right at 1970. Aren't you glad we're not this old, David? Mm-hmm. I'm not that old either. I'm, not, I just, I'm also not that Emmanuel old. But younger it's a, than but me. It's a, but it's a famous quote. So it is. Chase was 19. I knew the quote. I just didn't know the reference. Unborn. Yeah, that's what it's from. Love story. Love means never having to say you're sorry. It's like you. I have a, a Charles Spurgeon quote. I got uh, that girl. Maybe we end with Spurgeon. In. <laughs> I got persecuted earlier for scripture, so I'll try to slip a little Spurgeon in on us. Um, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead this is bodies. A good quote. And if yeah. this is one of my favorite quotes of anybody, and if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. I think that's a great passage for parenting, and it's a great passage for believers in general, and I think it shows the right approach to sin. Um you hear from time to time about parents disowning their children over sin. I, you never do that. The prodigal father didn't do that, even though the son utterly rejected mm. him. Uh, I, I cannot see a situation, even when your child utterly disowns you and disavows everything you've ever taught him, mom, dad, you never disown your child. Whether they're homosexual or murderer or greedy or gluttonous, which is a couple of sins I realized that we that we also treat like sexual sin, as you said earlier, if we even address them. Um, there is never a place for a mom or dad to disown their kids. What, if, I, what if your child becomes an, an Alabama fan? I, I think wow. that's to be embraced and honored and, and given trophies. You should have a- asked that blessings. question should have been asked to me. And I think you asked the right guy. That was, look, that was look, what, my, wisdom. My daughter you. is not even a month old. <clears throat> already has an Auburn helmet in her room. <laughs> already has some Auburn onesies. I would be devastated if she came home talking roll tide. She teach, might be dis- teach them the way to go when they are young. Like, do you want to eat? If my son grew up and got a scholarship to Auburn to play quarterback, notice I would he notice not he disowned. Notice him. he just said he could be bought. So if it's money, free education, all that but, good stuff. If he got what if your son just came home and said, Dad, I like Auburn better because they have prettier uniforms and a nicer stadium or something? Ugh. And classier pants. I still wouldn't disown him. I would disagree All right, guys. with him. Uh, on behalf of Kevin and Skinner. <laughs> hey, we're um, talking about some Alabama and Auburn yeah, football what the heck? here. Quit I really appreciate it. To the this is the Gospel Friends where we go off topic at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Of course, yeah. it's also 830. Yep. So... <laughs> um, all seriousness, roll tide. Um, Where are you going? Go Sparty. Edit that out. Sparty, Sparty on. Sparty on. If you're, Edit that out. If you're too. going Sparty to be on. a turncoat, at least get their slogan. I'm right. not a turncoat. You are. You're not a. No. You're not a Mississippi State fan. You're an Auburn fan. Sparty on. All right. 
Guys, I really do appreciate on behalf of Kevin and Skinner for giving us the time. Um, and I appreciate the insights. It really was um, what Kevin was hoping for, some different perspective, but some very good, godly, um, but helpful perspective. So thank you very much for that. Well, you're very welcome. Yeah. Wow, you're mighty chipper. Um, going to let that fly away in the breeze. Um there's a couple ways you can contact us here at the Gospel Friends. TheGospelFriends.com will get you to all of them. Um, you've got Twitter, at My Gospel Friends. We've got the Facebook group, The Hall of Dogma, Facebook.com slash group slash Hall of Dogma. TheGospelFriends at gmail.com for email, 205-575. Send a letter to John the Baptist. Yeah, you could. And he'll give it to us. He had a rough recording session the last well, episode. Well, he was stoned repeatedly. <laughs> Not from great heights. Not in the Nick sense of being stoned, but right. <laughs> yeah, different. having we don't things thrown at you. 205-575-9735 or speakpipe.com slash the gospel friends. That is going to do it. Um, and I think this is going to wrap up 2015, guys. 2015 in the books. See you on the flip side. Another TGF 20, 2016. Oh, hey, can we say that? I don't know. I just did. We just did. I don't. What does that mean? Tune in next year when you may hear David say some questionable things that Nick will have to edit out later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you will. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is a friend of mine.